Welcome to another episode of The Fear of God. I believe this is episode 15. And here at The Fear of God, it's a podcast uh, between myself, Nathan Rouse, and co-host Reed Lackey. We discuss the intersection of faith and horror, um, a perhaps typically seen as strange intersection, but one we like to engage and find that there is a robust conversation waiting to be had lurking around every corner typically when i lead the charge i make some stupid pithy comment about where reed might or might not be but honestly and it's usually related to the movie we're discussing but this movie has i'm i'm worried that any joke i make here might be too and might be perceived as insensitive so i'm just gonna say hey reed welcome to the show (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> really i'm not following you what uh what oh you by, there uh, you go there you go you... <laughs> where 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 you lead me i will follow <laughs> i'll go with you with you oh, man. all the way so see you're our scripture man i'm our worship leader i'm always the one dropping <laughs> him song references <laughs> oh it's so true it's so true <laughs> um so today we are discussing uh this movie came out in 2015 i believe right or maybe the latter part of it yes okay it wasn't like it wasn't 2016 no i and actually i think it debuted at some festivals in 2014 so i think depending on what website you visit um i think it it had run the festival circuit uh in 2014 but then was formally distributed in in early 2015 i think like uh, uh march maybe march or april somewhere somewhere early in 2015 Gotcha. Um, but yes, today we are talking about the, uh, I guess you could even call it a sleeper hit, but um, the, the movie It Follows, um, which, you know, like the Babadook that we covered several weeks ago, um, sort of even like The Guest, you know, a couple of these movies that, to my knowledge, and you can speak to this, didn't seem to do a ton box office wise, but really gained huge momentum. Um, kind of on the home, on the home level, um, you know, and, and it follows is it, it did that (laughs) (laughs) it follows. Um, so yes, you know, it follows has really earned a lot of accolades. Um, not just, I would think in the, the horror sort of circles, but, um, really made a splash. It's just a darn impressive movie. So we're talking about it today and, want to hear from you read so sort of like the babadook i believe this is your like what 10th viewing of it <laughs> i do have a tendency to re-watch <laughs> films a lot uh no this is the this was the fourth time that i've seen this one but listeners are gonna quickly catch on and maybe start judging me for like when i love a film it is not uncommon for me after an immediate viewing to to watch it two or three times within the next few months just to, to really, if I, if I really responded strongly to it, to kind of try to put my finger on why I did and what I loved about it. Uh, but yeah, I've seen it follows four times, uh, despite the fact that it's only been released uh, for me, you know, a little over a year. Well, I will, uh, by virtue of iTunes' inability to let me rent it, probably be watching it again at some point because I purchased it in order to watch it a second <laughs> time. Yeah, weird, weird technology stuff. But yes, I, I've I've seen it twice now, and man, I tell you, you'll you'll appreciate this statement, Reed, for what it says about my maturing appreciation for the horror genre. It is difficult to watch the movie It Follows and not come away thinking this movie does not even exist uh, without the movie Halloween. Yes. I mean, it is, it is just, I mean, from 
just the style of it in general, but even like the score. I mean, it's got a very right. Carpentarian kind of score to it. I just made that up, by the way. Oh, but I'll take it. We're keeping it. Um, so, you know, there's there's a lot going on, and we're going to get to some themes of this movie in a couple minutes, but just wanted to, you know, bounce off some more kind of surface-type stuff. Um, you know, what kind of worked for you? Was there anything that maybe even didn't work for you? For me, other than the Halloween comment, and I feel like we should, uh, you know, explain a little bit about It Follows, I don't like doing this because I'm sort of presuming most of our listeners have seen the movies we're talking about, but it does feel like we, in the interest of accessibility, should do this. So, um, It Follows is, gosh, how do you explain it? Um, Reed, how do you explain It Follows? How would you, what's what's your elevator pitch for It Follows? Well, how I've basically described it to people that I was trying to convince to watch it, I basically said like, okay, there's just essentially uh, a young girl. Uh, when I say she's a young girl, she's a young woman. Um, she's an adult, um, but she has um, she has. <laughs> You've already failed in your explanation. You're like a young girl. Well, not really a girl. Um, she is a woman, or well, she's you know. <laughs> hey, you should hear me try to tell a joke, okay? <laughs> you're illustri- you're illustrating my point. This movie is a little challenging to just encapsulate in a sentence. But go ahead. It's true. It's true. Um, well, she she basically she has sex with a a new uh, sort of romantic interest that she's diving up with, but immediately following that's not a pun immediately following their their intimate encounter she comes to learn that there is this thing uh literally the it of the title that will now be incessantly following her until it captures her and kills her and the only way that she can rid herself of this and she's not even ridding herself of it she's just extending the inevitable is uh is by sleeping with somebody else and passing it on to somebody else and um and so that's 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 essentially what i usually lead people in with and uh it it, it is a it's one of those it's the kind of film that is very much a template in many ways uh one of the things i love about the fact that let's let's just start with the title and then I'll bounce it back to you to to focus in on whatever you want to focus on the title uh it could be anything like it follows the metaphor is almost on the nose for this idea of like the it could be anything there's a strong resistance that I have and I think you feel the same thing to talk about this film in purely like sexual terms because the film is in the narrative of the film the it is a result of sexuality so it can be easy to sort of attach those things to the template but that it of the title could be anything and i just love the you know uh we're big fans of stephen king and even though there's some complications to to the story uh, to this story particularly one of his most iconic books is simply called it and the idea of just there's this this pronoun it's not a he it's not a she there's very much a what is it Reed? it's it it's it it's a thing <laughs> it's it you get it right it's it <laughs> get it you get I, it oh i get it you got it is it following <laughs> it's, it's, it's following you <laughs> good oh lord they are going to lose patience with us so much so quickly oh listeners. um yeah. but but yeah, I mean, I, to, to, to bounce that back to you is I, I really love the title. I love how simple it is. I love how direct it is. Um, it's very, you might want, you might say provocative. Yes. Um, yes. Evocative, if you will. I mean, it, it follows, you know, there's not a whole lot else you need to say. It's like, it's like, here's the thing, you know? Yeah. Here's the thing. And it follows. It follow- it's, and it's, then it follows. It's one of those sentences that they gave you in, <laughs> they gave you in grammar school, like where they're saying like, Hey, what's the right. simplest sentence you can come up with? You know, he runs. It she, follows. Yeah. She right. follows. And now it follows, you know, like, it's like, okay, yep. Yep. the, the, the simple, simple. Well, grammar. I do, I do like, I, certainly I had drawn the connection between Stephen King's, the title of Stephen King's book, it, and the movie it follows. But I do like that you just brought up cause it hadn't occurred to me that like, sort of Pennywise or however you want to call him in it is sort of um, a, 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 a polymorph, you know, a, mm-hmm. a, a creature that can change shape. Um, that had not, I had not made that correlation to the movie It Follows, but that is an interesting, uh, 
interesting point to make. So for me, yes, the title is very evocative, evocative and provocative. I'm never 100% sure which one is most accurate to the use I'm trying to employ, but that's another conversation. <laughs> you know, despite the sort of challenge of succinctly summarizing this movie for a potential viewer, one thing that I do think is incredibly well done with this movie is the concept. I mean, it is pitch perfect. It is the, the, the quote-unquote rules of the movie are very clearly defined and very strictly abided. Um, and I, I appreciate that a lot, you know, like, you know, they, they, there's kind of two particular scenes, both involving who you called the bow, giving some exposition that just clearly lay out. Here's what this character that he's talking to is going to experience. Here is what you, the viewer need to know. Right. You know? Right. And it's really, really no more complicated than that. I do think that, not all of the movies we talk about would fit this sort of description, but I think It Follows is a Christian movie with the best of them. I think you can put it next to A Distant Thunder. Um, as as one, Do you need to do, like some youth group somewhere needs to do a double feature of It Follows and A Distant Thunder? Oh my God. And that person will, that person will never engage in any possible deviant act ever <laughs> like like that is <laughs> it's a monster of an after school special i'll give you that <laughs> yes youth pastors i encourage you to show this movie at youth group. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow oh wow we're talking about your cautionary you tales equally scar and scare these children for life um oh my god yeah, I, 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 strangely, I didn't find my second viewing of it. I rewatched it. I'd seen it about six months ago. I rewatched it for our podcast. Um, I didn't find it quite as sort of scary. Uh, there, there are a number of moments the first time you watch it that are just jump out of your seat. Sure. And, you know, I feel like I'm jumping ahead to our scary moments, but wanted to give an extra little breathing room if there was any other specific likes, dislikes for you read. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, just in general, I'm I'm very fond of the of the script. One thing that I have heard criticized about this film, and it's an element that makes me love it all the more. Um, I have heard some critics of the film. The film is mostly praised, but I've heard some critics of the film talk about how they're frustrated that the rules are not very clearly defined. The rules of what this thing is and how it operates and what it can and can't do. You know, there's a couple of rules that are very obvious, but not all of them are. And I think that's part of what attracts me to the story because it's very metaphorical, even in its premise. And I like stories that don't spend a lot of time over explaining things, particularly in the horror genre. I like stories that are, are willing to leave a little bit uh, of uncertainty as to what exactly could or could not happen. Um, and so I think one of the things that I love about it is just how simple it is. And as I mentioned before, how it kind of uh, narratively and uh, in its basic premise acts as a, a template to infuse in it a sort of, uh, I think it connects you more as a viewer that you can infuse your own understanding of what these characters are experiencing, even if it's not directly related to like, you know, your intimate encounters in your own life. It's not directly related to that or doesn't have to be you can you can still and this will be something that we'll get more into when when we talk about themes that it makes me think about but i think that one of the things i just love about it is that the script the characters and the general film itself is sparse enough that i think it invites you to infuse your own perspectives and your own experiences into what these characters are experiencing um and, and maybe that was just me but that's that's sure. part of why i responded so strongly to well it. no i mean uh, I, it's funny I, I, I feel like i said one thing i like about it is the clearly defined rules and then you said critics said there aren't clearly defined rules but so i don't, I don't know who's right there but it's all about perspective as we talked last week with emily Rose. <laughs> um, uh, you know i'm with you though i, I feel like there's this very interesting rhythm to the movie it's got a very like I, I honestly what 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 i'm thinking of is like the 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 lapping water there's several scenes by kind of a a big lake or an ocean i'm not yes. sure exactly what it is but you know there's i think that's and, and she's in the pool several times but it's not like 
this Olympic swimming pool or whatever. It's this above ground, cheap pool. But those scenes are very quiet. It's a very quiet movie. Mm -hmm. And I just, I don't know. I really appreciate the tone and the rhythm of the movie. Something you can, you can, let me bounce this off of you as, as our resident horror meister. Um, something that struck me on a rewatch on the rewatch was, uh, I'll lead with this statement and then try to unpack it. I hope that there is never an it follows sequel. And what I mean by that is something that I like about it is I don't care what this thing is. Like, it doesn't matter. You've given me enough of a bare bones sort of rule set rule set that I can sort of run with. I don't ever want to know, was this a demon that spawned at the start of time? And right, now, right. you know what I mean? Like who cares? Like, I think it'd be a terrible choice to follow up. It follows. <laughs> uh, it follows again. It follows you. It follows those guys, you know, like whatever. Um, <laughs> I think it'd be a gross miscalculation of the success of the movie or what makes it work so well. If you started a sequel with the intention of explaining what the, it is like, so, so where I'm going with that is something that struck me on the rewatch that I think I like a lot about the movie is so many horror movies, so many sort of apocalyptic movies, so many whatever type of genre you want to apply to it, the stakes are bigger. Like the stakes are, even in your your Freddies, your Jasons, your Michael Myers, like there's, while those characters kind of generally just kind of kill one person at a time, there's this sense in which if let loose, they're going to go nuts and kill everybody they see. Right, right. You know what right, I mean? Right. Like it's, yeah. like there's a more... There's more of a universal threat to whatever the monster is. I think there's something really fascinating about it follows that the threat is so microscopic. It's just, it's just one person. Right. Now right. If it gets that person, it's going to go find another one, but yeah. it's just the one person. You know, does that make sense at all? What I'm trying to say? Like, th yeah, it's a very so. precise sort of creature or monster or threat or whatever. I, I don't know. I, I just really appreciate it. Like, it's not like, and now it is going to destroy all of Seattle. You know what I mean? Like, it's just not going to happen. Like, this, this movie isn't interested in this sort of global universal threat. It's interested in a very specific, uh, dare I use the word, intimate kind of threat. Anyway, I know that's kind of, that may seem like an odd thing to pull out, but it's something that struck me on the rewatch. No, I, de I definitely think that, like, uh, it, its victims are single file. Like, it does not, it does not care at all about anybody even messing with it. Uh, as we see in the in the one of the concluding scenes, like it couldn't care less to to go after the the other people at the pool with Jay. It's only trying to get sure. her. Um, so it's it's definitely uh, just to validate further what you're saying that like it, it's definitely very focused and and focused on transgressors. Like if you have if you haven't done what it comes after you for, then you have nothing to worry about. Well, but see, now see, that's interesting. That's interesting you say that and it cues up a thought that's related to what I was saying a minute ago, that as precise of a threat as it is, there's a universality to its potential victim. Everybody has sex. Right, right, right. I do see what you mean. You yeah, know what I mean? Right. And I think, that's an, I think that's a real interesting kind of juxtaposition, if you will. Uh, real interesting dichotomy that, you know, maybe, maybe going a little too far afield but that i don't know that was something that struck me last night uh on my rewatch of this movie was as precise and specific and intimate as this threat is and even though only one person is going to succumb to it at any given moment anyone over the age of fill in the blank is sort of susceptible to this thing and right, i think that's a right. really interesting uh, a new approach to kind of the monster movie if you will uh here's a random potential dislike that i don't firmly believe in but i'm interested in your thoughts uh has criticism you've seen addressed the fact that more than once in the movie or once in the movie the thing gets shot in the head gets right back up and then in the pool they shoot it in the head in the pool and you're left to sort of believe that this might be dead you know what i mean like is there some inconsistency i'm observing there or is it just no that's definitely the been dupe, the kids dupe themselves into thinking it's dead yeah no that's definitely been part of the the criticism that's that's hurled at the film i i do away with it by the fact that following that pool scene if yeah paul uh, yeah fo it, it follows the pool scene um <laughs> But uh, but immediately after that, I think it's immediately after that pool scene, Paul makes uh, a very, you know, to call back. It reminded me a lot of the film The Ring, 
um, that he makes the decision to sort of put this thing out into a place that it's going to, and he kind of is making a rather judgmental decision um, because I think it's right after the pool scene that Paul decides, okay, I'm going to take it and I'm going to give it to to a, a streetwalker. I'm going to give it to a prostitute, and then that's potentially going to to make it spread elsewhere. They do that following their encounter at the pool. So I don't think the characters. I have heard the criticism that you've addressed labeled as criticism, but I dismiss it in the reading of the film and the fact that after that pool moment where they do shoot it, then he he still understands, like, we're going to have to keep getting rid of this thing, that it's going to have to keep just going further on down the line. But there there is some... I don't know if I would call it necessarily inconsistencies, but there's definitely some some nits you could pick with certain narrative beats uh, with how the how the monster is undone or escaped. Even even something we mentioned off mic, even to the random moment when they're driving. Let me tell that. <laughs> Go right ahead. Let me tell that one. Go, this, yeah. is, this was my joke. It's funny. Uh, yeah, so we were talking earlier off mic and talking about inconsistency. I was just thinking about that as we were having this, this conversation right now. You know, the, the clearly defined rules that I'm praising, they do tend to break, at least in this one particular instance. You know, the, the, the rule set forth by Jeff with the pseudonym is it only walks, so it's not in run or anything like that, which is also, as we even alluded to in Halloween, sort of a Michael Myers trope. Right. But it only walks, and then there's the scene late in the movie where they're pulling away from the house, and there's it is on top of the house as a naked man, and it just trips me out because it's like, okay, now you're just showing off. Like, like <laughs> you know, the whole movie, you only ever see this thing like pacing towards whoever its victim is, and you're up on top of a house, a two-story house, no less. Like, come on, how did you do that? Like, why, why did you do that? It reminds me of like a trapped animal or something. Like, hey, so I'm after her. I'm not going to hurt you. Will you just help me down? And someone being like, okay, creepy middle-aged naked man. You know, like, like yes, that is a definite inconsistency that is purely for the shock factor. Like, why on earth is that person up there? Well, Ultimate Frisbee sent the Frisbee up there, so he had to go get it. You know? <laughs> So it's like, it's like, I know I put it up here somewhere. Because, listen, even monsters need hobbies. And <laughs> it is an avid Ultimate Frisbee, new Ultimate Frisbee, no less. And so <laughs> it's not like she was hanging out up there. You know, like, like this thing, which the movie wants you to believe and you sort of buy in, is a physical entity. You know, it takes up space and has mass. Even right, though right. only the person it's after can see it, it didn't fly up there. <laughs> right, it didn't get. Right. It didn't. Par- it didn't. It didn't parachute up there and just miss the ground. Like it climbed up there, and it's just really <laughs> fun to me to think about the form of this middle-aged naked man just like climbing up on top of the house. He was just sunbathing, oh you know. And then remembered. Then remembered his mission. You know. He's like, oh yeah, I wasn't here to. Yeah, I wasn't here to that. Then oh like, wait a minute. Oh now they're pulling away. Shoot. Now I'll just stare menacingly it's at like, her. <laughs> no, no, my bad. I'm I'm Santa Claus. I was just gonna come down the chimney and give you some <laughs> give you some Gosh, presents. No, stop, stop right there. <laughs> this movie invites this movie invites too many of these jokes. Um, it's, it's so true. On that note, uh, <laughs> let's speaking of naked middle aged men, let's talk about scary things. Um, oh yeah, I'll lead. So my first viewing, although I'm worried I'm gonna take away from yours, I don't know, but. My very first viewing, I would have come away saying the absolute scariest thing in this movie was the tall man's entry into the story uh, via the hallway. Like that is that is nightmarish. Yes, it is. After my second viewing, I think for me, that diminished a little bit. Uh, what I do think took its place is when it... We need to come up with a name for it. <laughs> Pete, you know, Pete. Well, we can't call it the thing. No, we can't do <laughs> that because no. Although, although you know, it's Carpentarian. So why don't we call it the follower? Why don't we just call it the follower? The fo- oh, that's just that's speaking of on the nose. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> so, so the follower is that's just too. It's too. It's too clinical. You know, he needs like a like a Jimmy. You know, like Jimmy, 
Oh, you, you want to you want to call the thing that's following her Jimmy? Do you? That's that's what you want to call him. <laughs> it's better than the follow. Um, so, so, so Jimmy, I don't think I don't think we've ever uh, on the podcast gotten to a point where we might not recover from our laughter. But um, so, so, so here it is, guys. Here it Jimmy, is. Jimmy, Jimmy takes the shape. Of the neighbor. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sorry. No, Sorry. go ahead. Keep going. It's, it's fine. I'm trying. I'm trying. So, Jimmy takes. <laughs> oh, oh, man. I knew it. So. So the monster, the monster. I yeah, okay. The mon- the right mon- <laughs> See, that's what <laughs> that's what he does. He doesn't want you to call him a name. So, <laughs> oh man, <laughs> the mo- I think the scariest part for me, the second go round, if I can get through it, is the monster uh, takes the shape of the neighbor boy who's been helping them. I, I can't. It doesn't matter. What's what's your scariest part? Really? <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Well, the um, okay. So. <clears throat> So the monster, I'm going to try this again. I'm going to try this again. Okay. So the monster takes the shape of the neighbor. And so previously the tall man scared me. This time it was the the monster taking the shape of the neighbor. And just his locomotion, again, that sort of Michael Myers-esque, nothing is going to stop or get in the way or cease this thing's movement. And it, you know, does it knock on the window? I can't, like, no, what it, it does, does something. It, I know it breaks the window. Yeah, because because what it does is it essentially tries to open the door, can't open the door, and then That's throws it. something through the window to get into the house. Yeah, right. Um, so it breaks the window and then just like flops through the window, <laughs> which is just you know in the telling of it is funnier than experiencing it, which was quite scary. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'll I'll go with my scary moment here that like I think you actually didn't steal mine. I think the I think the tall man You know where I'm going though. You know where I'm going. Oh well that yeah the crazy mom. Oh man, yeah, the where he mom. where he gets up to the Oh yeah. I mean well and the yeah. the the moment that really freaked me out, although I would definitely agree the tall man is a freaky moment, it, it, the moment even after four viewings that still unsettles me is the old woman chasing her through the the halls of the school like and i think the reason that it creeps me out so much is because that's the first time that we've seen irrevocably that this is now attached to her like you know when you have your exposition scene where jeff is sort of explaining everything i think he's i can't remember if he's jeff or hugh i don't know that's weird but at any rate like well his real his real name is jeff they go to the school and the school tells them that's right that's right that's right so um but during that exposition scene, obviously we see the the, the creature, the thing, and and then uh, it, it doesn't really sort of solidify that like no, this is real, it's happening, and it's after Jay until that scene with with the old woman. And there's some culmination of the music, the the way the shot is framed, the relentless, deliberate pace of this old woman, um, the look on her face. Kudos to that actress who I I, I don't know the name of. But, um, you know, just the the look that she's got on her face, just this very calculated and clinical, I'm after you. Well, and you're, I'm I'm going to I'm going to walk over your I'm going to talk over you real quick and say, I think you're also you're also brushing up against too. what I would say. There's no particular scene that's so scary. It is how this movie is shot. Mm, mm-hmm. Like even even established once once the monster is present um, after after they have sex in the car and he tells her what's going on and it shows up for the first time you know like once that happens in the way in which he describes it now even establishing shots become scary right because they linger and because you have now through that scene and through the old lady scene have now been trained to watch the periphery of the screen right you know because the thing is going to be in the distance Anyway, I, I'm, I totally cut you off there, but no, I mean, I, I, I couldn't agree more with you. The the part of the brilliance of this film is that it makes you pay attention to anybody who's essentially just walking, right? Like anybody, 
it, we even see that exhibited in in when they come to confront Jeff about like, hey, what what's going on? What are you doing? Here? Yeah, yeah, the soccer. And kid. then he sees that person is like, can you can you guys see that? You know, can you see her? I mean, it it, it is a very sort of unnerving thought that. Uh, it, it makes for the characters you sympathize that they don't they don't always they aren't always able to trust what they can see and they aren't always and and they especially like talk about watch your back for the rest of your life like you know i i think you get you know maybe my final sort of scary moment to list is i was n never more tense in this movie than when they're sitting on the beach and you see the thing, like you begin to realize before they do that this thing is coming up behind her. It's coming up behind Jay, and Jay's back is turned to it. And then she even says, you know, her their friend even says, "Do you want to go in?" And she's like, "Maybe in a little bit." And you, as the audience, are sitting there like, "You yeah. should go in now. You should go in right now." <laughs> you know, but uh, that that's a very fraught moment. Yeah, yeah. Did you notice? So I watched our, the rewatch. I watched with my sister who likes scary movies, and it was interesting watching that scene with her. Because if you notice, the monster in that scene has taken the form of one of the friends. I did notice that. Yes. So, yes. So as she's as well as the monster, as it is walking into frame from the distance, you would not be blamed. Like they're really playing with you there. Like, well, is this it or is this one of them? Right. And then it cuts back to, I think, I think the sister in the foreground with the water in the background. And you see that same friend out on the, the float. And yeah. You're like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Something's yeah. something bad is going on. Oh, it's great. It's so great. I mean, I I do think that the film is, and you know, talking about whether or not it's actually genuinely scary or not. Like, I've mentioned before on the show how I'm very protective of like, you know, my wife knows that I enjoy scary movies, and at certain times she she wants to sort of enjoy that with me, but I have to be very sensitive about exactly what I let her watch and, and has to have, you know, certain parameters in there. She watched this and loved it. Really? She, she thought this was a great movie and didn't... Yeah, no, she, she thought it was wonderful. So I think there's definitely a quality to it that um, is frightening, unsettling, and unnerving, but I think it, it fits in a very specific niche that, that it might be palatable for for someone who maybe doesn't always enjoy scary movies or they can't take you know more intense things this is one that i would suggest to them as in some elements a little bit on the tamer side in terms of nightmarish things but still very tense creepy um and really just very strong as a story and as a film i love the opening sequence too i mean it's oh, just yes. a really strong you that you learn a lot in just what three or four minutes well, I say you learn a lot. You don't know what's going on, but uh, you know that's part of the intrigue. Is there's a whole mini story told right there? Absolutely. Um, that really propels you, propels you forward. Um, on that, I do want to wind towards some thematic stuff because you know I got to be honest. The more I've dwelt with this movie or kind of marinated with it, the more I think it has to say. Um, I think <clears throat> I want to tee us up a little bit into something that might get to where you're going. I don't know, but so I've got two kind of major theme ideas. One, I think something that's fascinating to me, like there's a reason I said at the top of things like this movie doesn't exist without John Carpenter's Halloween. You pointed out something interesting <clears throat> that I would not have thought about of Halloween that I think is extremely present here. And that is this subversion of what I wrote was Americana mm, of mm -hmm the kind of sub suburban American life. You know, I'm like in many ways, this takes place in kind of any suburb USA, you know? Right. Oh, it does. Um, yeah. And you've, you've got the idea. Well, there's this really interesting scene where I think it's once they've found an address for Jeff and they're going to go track down that location. And there's a conversation that happens. And I, wa I, I wrote down a quote and it's, one of the kids talking about one of the young people talking about their relationship to the city they're heading into the city and she says something like where the city started and the suburbs ended the point she's trying to make is she couldn't go into the city but what's interesting is that as she's saying this you're seeing dilapidated buildings and i think what the movie is after right there is this notion that we've you know the city is dangerous you shouldn't go into the city it's dangerous uh, the suburbs are safe, you know, out here, away from the crime, away from the what have you, you're safe here. But as with the movie Halloween, as with the movie It Follows, we just, 
it's just not true, you know? Right, right. Um, and I just really think that's an interesting kind of turning that that safety of seclusion on its head, you know, like you're, you're out here with people like you, um, you think you're safe and okay, but you really aren't. Um, so I, I don't know. I just thought that was kind of an interesting, interesting idea. The movie kind of plays with. Yeah. And, and I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that part of what I really respond to very strongly is when horror takes you into places that are supposed to feel safe and they very distinctly are not. I always respond pretty strongly to, uh, I think middle suburbia, I think, you know, hospitals, the places where you feel, where it feels like you're supposed to be protected. And this is the place where it churches, um, places where it feels like, okay, this is, this is supposed to be a haven and it's clearly not, um, that for some reason, there's something that I haven't really explored very much on a personal level, but there's something that I automatically respond to when a film or a book has that as part of its premise. So I definitely think this fits in that sure. category. It, it it definitely follows that. Well, one thing that I had, and I know you said you had two themes, so I'll, I'll, I'll maybe take a turn here and then bounce it back to you. One thing that I had, it, it's, it's interesting to think about this notion of, so let's let's bypass whether or not listeners will be frustrated by this and think we should or not let's let's bypass the sexual nature of the choice that causes it to come after the characters in the movie um let's bypass that that sort of sexual quality and the the simple fact of it's a singular act done one time and it forever changes the dynamic of this person's life um and will ultimately likely end this person's life and I remember thinking uh, the second time that I viewed it, that really stood out to me a lot. This whole idea of people make good choices and bad choices all the time. But if, if you're anything like me, I have a tendency to feel like there is a merit and demerit system going on somewhere. This does not mean that I actually believe it. I just act like this sometimes. That sure, when sure. I do a whole bunch of good things, I tend to act as if... If I do maybe one thing bad, like, well, come on, like I did this, I did, I did, I made this one bad choice. Okay, I made this one bad choice. Why do I have to then discount or dismiss the, you know, seventy-five other good choices that I made today for this one bad thing? But we know, uh, just by virtue of of looking at life, that there are some choices that forever define a person. That, you know, there was before this choice I made and there was after this choice I made. That, that, that literally everything changed following this singular sure. choice. Um, and I don't think there's much value in my going... It, it, listeners will understand what I mean. Um, I don't think there's much value into going into categories there. But I think that I find it very interesting, this idea of for these people in this story, there is one choice that they make, a singular choice that they make, and then they are forever running away, literally from that choice they are constantly trying to escape that choice and they can still be the people that they are they can still have friendships they can still move about their daily life and their daily business in any capacity until that choice comes calling for them and at that point there's a distinct escape that has to take place there's something that they then have to do to get away from that choice and uh, it's something that I just find deeply troubling and deeply compelling because I do think there's a reality. Again, I don't think there's much value in going into the categories, but I do think there's a reality that there are some choices that will break the pattern of your life and the rhythm of your life. And that when you make that choice, it's going to now be everything after that choice that you've done. Um, and that doesn't even necessarily have to be sure. in the negative. It could be in the positive, the choice to start doing something different with your life or the choice to, you know, obviously this film frames it in a negative way and most people's, most listeners' minds probably went to something negative as mine did. But uh, it, just this idea of a singular choice made in a singular time that then defines everything that comes after it. Um, I find that idea haunting sure. and I find it compelling. Um, and it really makes me stop to think about the idle moments or the idle choices, uh, the time that I would think like, oh, it's, it's just this one thing. Or, I, you know, I could just dismiss this this one area. I can, 
I can let my guard down. I could let my hair down. You know, any anything like that. It's a it's a fearful and frightening idea to think that it could be in one of those moments that everything begins to unravel. Um, again, we're talking about the horror genre here, so it, I'm not talking that it always happens to everybody or making some pessimistic statement about life, but it's a haunting and troubling idea to think that everything could unravel from one singular decision. What do you? Well, and I think it's uh, yeah. I mean, I think it's important to note though. You you wanted you were working there to to clarify a negative versus a positive, and I think it's <laughs> never do people say these things. I think it's important to dwell on the negative here for a minute. No, <laughs> I mean that, but I was being silly there too. That you know, I think the point you're driving at is not the same in a positive life change, and and that's not neither that's not a bad thing. I think that the point as I understand it, you're trying to make, and I think is a reality, is that people, whether intentionally or accidentally, will find themselves having made either, uh, typically it's going to be a larger, but maybe a smaller, but like I said, I think typically a larger, typically larger negative choices are going to do what you're talking about, kind of cause the axis to shift of one's life in such a way that it, life kind of microscopes down, right? Right. To where all that you see and experience is informed solely by that choice. Right. Right. And it takes, and, and, you know, let's separate it from kind of the monster element of this movie, but, but, well, let's, let's not do that. Let's separate the, you're going to die element from it. But in, in the real, the monster is, is guilt. It's shame. It's, it's self-oppression, right? You yes, know, it's, it's, yes. It's the in, it's the inability to sort of forgive yourself, you know. And I think, yeah, I just think this movie does a good job of kind of illustrating that idea. And and if we're going to wrestle with this from a faith perspective, I think it's important to kind of honor and recognize the contribution to the conversation this movie is making, which is again, you know, ignoring the whole it will automatically without question kill you, but that there has to be a way above and through this guilt and shame and sort of inability to forget oneself. I don't know. I, I do think that's a very good point. Um, do you have, do you have more you want to say? I, I, I actually do. Oh. And I'm, uh, I'm, it's, yeah, it's funny. Yeah. Cause I, yeah, there's, it's interesting because I'm, re, I'm resisting going here for probably, probably some silly reasons, but I'll tell you what, as we're exploring this idea, I'll tell you what this makes me think of from a sort of a biblical narrative idea is, is Genesis chapter three. I mean, I, I'm sitting here as we're, as, as I'm, uh, this is happening almost in real time as we're sitting here having this conversation is I'm, I'm thinking about, okay, when, when you see the creature in the film, often as we've both joked about and noted the sort of unnerving quality to, uh, often it is naked. It's completely naked, um, and it's very mm -hmm. naked in a in a, in a very non-alluring way. It's it's just sort of very rawly naked and very bluntly naked, and uh, that's interesting because I don't think any other character in the film is. None of the people who make the choices are, but the creature is. Nope. And uh, and and so I'm sitting there, you know, thinking about nakedness, and you're sitting here talking about shame that the, the shame is following you, and that where my mind went was that verse that. Uh, after Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden had eaten the fruit, that's what it says. It said they saw that they were naked and they were ashamed. And that sure. that's sort of where my mind went. And then as I'm sitting here thinking about this notion of a singular choice changing everything, I mean, I mean, the, there's probably no greater example of that in the scriptures, uh, except for maybe the cross, uh, of uh, than Adam and Eve eating the fruit and, and disobeying again. Way to, way to play the trump card. <laughs> the, the conversation, the conversation's over now. You, you've gone to the prototypical mythological <laughs> negative choice. <laughs> it's like, well, it's, it's like, if you're going to talk about doozies, like Adam and Eve, you know, kind of broke the world, <laughs> you know, it's like, and, and it's funny too, because then I'm also thinking about, look at, look at the narrative of the film. And again, this is happening real time, so forgive me, listeners, if this is a bit frenetic, but you know, the, think about the narrative of the film. What, what choice do they have 
to escape this. They have no choice to escape it. It's coming after them, you know, and you think about, you know, the wages of right. sin is death. Like it's inevitable. It's one for one. And then what's the only thing I told you, I told you this was a Christian. Movie. <laughs> it's, it's, it's true. It's playing itself out. I mean, right it's now. a fundamental, it's a funda, it's a fundamentalist Christian. Movie, <laughs> it's but true. Nonetheless. But then, and then like, what do Adam and Eve do when they're confronted? Like, and this is, you know, I'm not going to derail us into a side sermon about this or anything, but, but when God, encounters them in the garden after they've eaten the fruit and you know they say well we were hiding because we were naked god said well who told you were you were naked who told you you were naked and what do they begin to do they begin to pass it off they begin to try to pass it off to you know adam's like well well this, the the woman that that you gave me is is the right. one that I, is the reason i ate the fruit and then the woman is like well no the serpent is the one who tricked me you know and they keep sort of passing it on which in that narrative only delays the inevitable and that's that, well, this, this choice has now changed everything. This choice has now irrevocably removed you from what you once were into what you now are. And it's just fascinating to me to think about this, this idea. And obviously, the, the movie It Follows is much more microscopic than, <laughs> than the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve. But, uh, but still, in a way... I think the the narrative beats sort of parallel this idea that you make this choice, you make this one deliberate choice, and after that, your eyes are opened. Literally, in the film, they can't see this thing unless they've made this choice. And now, uh, what does Jeff say? He says, I still see it. I still see it everywhere. Like, his, his eyes are literally right. opened. It's funny, I'm almost wishing that I had thought of this before entering into this conversation, because I feel like maybe my thoughts could have been a bit more concise, but uh, just as we're sitting here talking, I'm like, wow, yeah, the, the, I, you know, I, I don't think that the filmmaker is a Christian, but... In fact, what you're saying is reaffirming that youth pastors should show this movie this Wednesday at their youth groups. Official Fear of God endorsement right here for youth pastors on right, It right. Follows. And I'm actually, I'm actually going to take this up a notch or down a notch, depending on your perspective. So you, you have intentionally sort of set this strain of the conversation aside, but as you and I talked kind of as, as we were debriefing the movie even earlier in our day, for me, I don't think a, an, an honest conversation about what this movie is trying to say is able to be had apart from the component of sexuality. And mm -hmm. if I'm really getting pointed, I don't think an assessment of what we can discern or a conversation that can be had about faith components can be had in ignoring that. I think that it's fascinating, man. Like I don't remember feeling this way the first time I watched it, partly because I wasn't watching it with the intention of serious assessment. But so we are in uh, pre pre election fever, where an extremely present, inescapable conversation point is sexual predation. Right, and I think there is something very important happening in this movie that's relative to this conversation, and I think it is hard for me to watch this movie and not. Is there a, a male victim of the it in this movies? To a certain degree, yes, Jeff. To a certain degree, but Jeff does survive. Um, the the female at the beginning of the movie does get brutally killed, and they make a point of using the language of consent in the movie in terms of Jay and Jeff's sexual uh, encounter in the car. But what's worth knowing is what she perceived as consent, he intended as manipulation. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I think, I don't think the movie It Follows exists like, like the It. I mean, we, I made the comment earlier, sort of half joking, that despite the precision of the monster, there's a universality to the threat. I, I mean, I, I don't want to venture a guess as to what kids these days yada 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 in terms of ages and, and sexual experience and stuff but i mean in a you know in a world of seven billion people that's a lot of adults um and a lot of potential victims of the it if you will and 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 you made a good point just a second ago like something that's fascinating to me about this movie is 
the again using this word inversion the inversion of sexuality the the characters who have sex in this movie and there's the car scene there's the neighbor and jay in the hospital there is paul and jay later on none of them are are nude right right and what is the monster yeah the monster is nude in the very beginning when you first see it as the woman uh, completely nude the monster is the goodness gracious the the pitiful beaten whatever has happened to this woman in the in the house oh lord there's the mom neighbor there's the mom neighbor character there's the (laughs) the man who climbed to the top of the building um you know they're all new right and i think that's a really fast i think that's a very fascinating choice that this movie is trying to say something about sexuality and i think i don't necessarily know that i'm interested in saying exactly or know exactly what the movie is saying i do think i'm gonna borrow my interpretation of what it might be saying or where we can take it in a in a useful faithful way man you know the church has so screwed up when it comes to sexuality Mm. you know like this is i mean you saw spotlight right i saw spotlight yeah like we live in a culture that has commodified bodies Mm -hmm. in grotesque and titillating ways and the church doesn't has does not know what to do you know and so instead tends to sort of sit on the sidelines of this conversation in an extremely detrimental way which results in things like and these are charged statements results in things like the catholic church being beset with problems of rampant molestation from adults to children it is why a political party typically associated with quote-unquote family values has as its figurehead right now an alleged sexual predator right right. this is a problem and too long i read a book years ago i I, i'm honestly not even necessarily endorsing it at the moment just to say because i don't remember everything about it but i was really affronted with some of this con some of this subject matter in rob bell's sex god did you ever read that I, I did actually. I, I gleamed a couple of good things out of it, but but yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, to me, to me, it was just interesting because it was seemed like it was trying to change the conversation um, from sex is bad and you should. Again, I'm not even going to track down all the implications of that, but you know, because the problem that tends to happen is when you completely ignore this component of your life, we see bad things tend to happen. And, and something I was dwelling on today. Um, you know, you commented on the title of the movie earlier. Right. And sort of the nebulous, the nebulous, but definitely kind of provocative nature of it. But here's the thing, man, <laughs> to get Carpentarian. <laughs> um, what do we call when you're when you're 10 years old in this culture? What do you call sex? It. Oh, yes. Doing it. Yes. Doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Did, when did when did you do it? Oh, they did it. You know, mm-hmm. like. Yeah. Like. I don't know. Like, again, I don't know that the movie intended that, but I thought that was interesting. And like, we live in this, I'm going to borrow the title of the movie again. We live in this sex crazed culture and it follows us everywhere because we have such a difficult time. You know, it's, it's, it controls us as opposed to the other way around. And, you know, it's my gosh, man, I don't know if you've seen this week and by the time this airs, this is old news, but it's why, 70 year old thrice married twice adulterous newt gingrich can scold a 40 year old female journalist calling her obsessed with sex mm-hmm. like what mm-hmm. what is what is happening in our culture because we don't know what to do with this and it follows us everywhere it rages out of control because to me like in our culture bodies are commodities instead of sacred Right. I made a right. comment. I'm kind of ranting here and I don't mean to be necessarily, but I got real passionate thinking about this. Like I made a comment a couple of years ago on Facebook and it was meant to be kind of provocative. And I just wrote all bodies are sacred. Yes. And I think I may have put the tagline, even the bodies of terrorists, mm. which mm. clearly is meant, is meant to kick a nest. And someone came back at me and well, what about X, Y, or Z? And I was like, I hear you, but all bodies are sacred and and why we can so rampantly roll over them in war-torn countries 
and why we can so rampantly commodify them in sex trade is because we don't view them as sacred. Right. We view right. them as, and hear me, hear me, myself, read listeners, you know, like the reason I think is because for so long we've wanted, we, we, the church have wanted there to be this difference, this to, to be this dissonance between the spirit and the body, this sort of, there's a philosophical word for that and Gnosticism. Gnosticism. Yep. There it is. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we, we want to esteem the spirit and shun the body. And the problem with that is, is exactly this. It results in, uh, abuse. It results in commodification. It results in predation and assault because the problem is that your body isn't sacred because it is the temple of the Holy spirit. It is sacred because you, the, the, the sum of you, the, the mind, the spirit, the body, the personality, you are made in the image of God, period. That is why the body is sacred. Right. Um, right. Does that make sense? Like, to me, this movie... Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, to me, it follows, illustrates this idea that we should acknowledge, and that's that we cannot run from our own bodily self. And hear me, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of using this word sexuality sort of... Uh, in a more like there is a sensuality that sort of song of solomon version of sensuality is what i'm sort of referring to that that there is a holiness to your body right and i think that that um you know just uh, the church has just done a terrible job of integrating these things you know yeah that, that, that was a really long rant I, I <laughs> well, feel like i feel like i should apologize but i feel like there was some good stuff in oh there too, no there was the, yeah there absolutely was i think well and and to possibly sort of uh sort of wind it down from there. I, I definitely think that there's a responsibility we have within the church to to really not cast shame uh, upon the people who lean into us for spiritual health and well-being. And I think that the idea that you're you're very deftly exploring there is is something that I think for a long time people have just been they've just spent a lot of time in shame. Um, just in general, over their bodies, um, over how they look, uh, over their selves, over their personhood. Um, I mean, I think I think there's just a lot of people who have spent a lot of time because of the way that it's talked about and the way that it's treated. Um, people have just spent an incredible amount of time in in shame and in and living under sort of a cloud of guilt and blame. And and there was so much more to what you were saying. So I don't want to just you know dismiss all of the the substance there with a little button, but I definitely think that the church has has dropped the ball, uh, to put it terribly mildly, um, in terms of uh, of how to really speak into this prophetically and speak into it with substance and with healing and with wholeness. Uh, they've missed opportunity after opportunity over a long, long period of time. Um, I think in ways that even Christ himself uh, did not at all drop the ball in the way that he engaged with people and the way that he touched lepers and the way that he, you know, sure. was, was not shy around women and, and just, just in, in, in ways that the figurehead of our faith did not exhibit. We have been very ashamed of ourselves and we have cast that shame upon the people who have come to us for help. And, uh, and I think that we should as often as we can and in every opportunity try to correct that and try to make it, um, try to, try to choose something different, try to use, uh, Try to use our chooser to steal to steal your phrase. Uh, try to use our chooser uh, to do to do something different and to do something better. I definitely think we should. Yeah, who knew? Uh, who knew it follows had so much to say to the church? Huh? <laughs> it's, 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 I'm telling you, man. The fear of God, official endorsement. Youth pastors take note. Um, yep. Well, I think that that was probably where we should uh, where we should leave it, where we should wind it down. And um, and uh, obviously, as we always say, listeners, you if you have thoughts on this, we want to hear them. Um, it follows this conversation that uh, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but it's not the end of the conversation. And uh, we want you to reach out to us uh, by, either by social media or directly, and uh, and let us hear what you think. About about some of the things that we've touched up with and uh, and this film in general. Um, you can reach out to us in a variety of ways, as we always say. You could follow us on Twitter. Nathan, our Twitter handle is? At the fear of God. That was very dramatic. I liked it. Um, you could also you. like us on Facebook. Um, you could like us on Facebook. You can uh, follow me on Twitter at Reed Lackey. Um, and Nathan, they can follow you on Twitter outside the fear of God. Where again? At 
the Nathan Rouse, equally dramatically so. I know. <laughs> um, you can also email us, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. Um, and, uh, and yeah, we would just love to hear from you. Visit us over at More Than One Lesson, comment on the post, uh, write us an iTunes review. Uh, just uh, reach out to us in a variety of ways. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this. And um, as always, Nathan, thank you so much for everything that you've brought to this conversation. Really rich, good stuff that I loved a lot. And um, thanks so much for having this conversation with me. Yeah, no problem, man. It was fun. And uh, we will just check out social media to see where we're going next week. And we will see you guys then. Thanks. See you next time. face kudos to that actress who I, I i don't know the name of i actually i think in the credits her name was listed as jenny it was <laughs> no no you i was jerk. making a jimmy i was making a jimmy joke <laughs> you jerk <laughs>